we look once more at our scripture reading, Acts chapter 12 and verse number 1. Now at about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And our subject today is prayer is vital for the life of the church and the life of the believer. This chapter opens with King Herod stretching forth his hand violently and opposing the saints. He killed James, the brother of John, and Herod was, he was going for the inner core of leaders. He went for James, the three that were at the transfiguration, and now he had arrested Peter, and he saw that it pleased the Jews. He saw that he could gain favor by this. So he had Peter put in prison, and Peter was chained between two soldiers. He was committed to, they call it a quintillion. It was four sets of four soldiers. So there were 16 soldiers responsible for the watching of one man. An impossible situation to get free from. How difficult it must have been. He must have almost given up all hope. Herod's plan was, was really evil. It was not just to bring him out and parade him before the people after the feast of Tabernacle or the feast of, of the Passover feast, but he had intended to execute him, fully intended to kill him. Peter is in the prison. And it's impossible to escape. And Yaris, let me just go. I think Herod, Herod thought that Peter would never be able to escape. He thought that he had taken all the precautions that were necessary. Imagine Herod is so arrogant. He thinks he can fight against God. He thinks he can fight and win against God. So foolish to fight against God. We read the scripture in our first reading. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast them away from us. But the Lord laughs at the wicked. But while Peter was in prison, something happened. Prayer was made without ceasing by the congregation, and the prayer was made to God on his account. Somehow, Peter was in perfect peace. He was asleep the night before he was due to be arrayed before the people. And Peter must have known that he was most likely going to be executed. Yet he had peace in his heart and he was fast asleep between the two soldiers. And the congregation was praying diligently and fervently for Peter. I want you to note that prayer was made to God. They didn't pray Binding Herod. Oh, we bind all Herod's maneuvers in the name of Jesus. 
No, they prayed to God. People that take this teaching, they, they take it from Matthew 17 and verse 20. And they say that we speak to this mountain and we command it to be cast into the sea. But it's not just speaking to the mountain and commanding it to be cast in the sea. No, it is an active faith in God, in his divine power, in his divine promise. It's not faith in my speaking. It is faith in God's power. It is faith in him. I trust him to do the impossible. I pray to him. I don't address the situation. It is faith in him who promised. So my faith is in God's promise. True faith links us to the all-powerful one, the almighty, omnipresent one. Now, I just want to take this a little bit further. Supposing there was one speaking to the mountain, charging it and commanding it to go, but had no faith in God. Suppose they had not even come to faith in Jesus Christ. How could they ask in Christ's name? Because the Bible says, ask in my name, whatsoever you ask in my name. So if they didn't even believe in Jesus Christ, we know according to scripture that God doesn't even hear sinners. He doesn't answer sinners. We are taught to ask. The scripture says in John 16 and verse 24, until now you ask nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. We ask the Lord. We come to the Lord in prayer. Our prayer is to God. When the Lord taught the church to pray, he said, our Father who art in heaven. We pray to our Father who is in heaven. But it's not only asking. It is sub submission to God. Submission to his gospel. Submission to his precepts. To his word. The book of 1 John chapter 3 and 22 simply says, Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. We ask and we receive of him because we keep his commandments and we do those things which are pleasing in his sight. So it's submission to God. And we read in the book of Psalms that if I regard iniquity in my heart, then the Lord will not hear me. What is iniquity? Iniquity is any sin whatsoever, and especially the sin of idolatry, the stretching out of my hope to a false god. That's idolatry. Lastly, when we're dealing with this um, praying and speaking to the mountain, we ask the Lord with the right intentions. So all through scripture we see ask, ask, ask the Father, the Father, the Father. We pray with the right intentions. 
James chapter three, uh, 4 and verse 3 says, Ye ask, and you receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your, own, your, your lusts. We pray according to His will. A right prayer will bring glory to God. It will bring enlargement to God's kingdom. And it will bring the good of all mankind. Answers come to those who trust. Answers come to those who come trusting the Lord. For example, Abraham, against hope, believed in hope. Abraham had no natural or rational grounds to hope. Sarah had no rational grounds to hope that she would have a child. Yet they believed against hope, and God granted them a son. Answers come to those who are not weak in faith. Answers come to those who stagger not at the promises of God. Answers come to those who are fully persuaded. Oh, we are fully persuaded. They came to God in prayer, and they put their faith in God. And even when it looked impossible, in humble but fervent supplication, they made their request made known to God. So in the book of Acts, in, our, in this chapter 12, Peter was in a crisis. The church was in a crisis. The early church was in a crisis. Peter was arrested and in prison. And what was their first action? What did they do? They didn't decide to have a campaign and prepare placards, set Peter free, and march in the streets, set Peter free, set Peter free. That wouldn't have helped anyway. They didn't gather a letter with 10,000 signatures and take it to Herod's offices and say, you see, we have 10,000 signatures, set Peter free. They went to prayer. Their first course of action was prayer. It's very interesting in the first chapter when James was killed by the sword. We don't read that there was any prayer offered up for James. And perhaps this was a stark reminder or a wake-up call for the church to begin to pray. We've lost James. We cannot afford to lose Peter. Well, one thing is for certain. They went to prayer fervently for Peter. And they prayed unto the Lord. The death of James alarmed them to greater fervency. They all gathered together. Some of the commentators say it was not in one place that they were gathered. They were gathered in homes all throughout the city, praying, asking the Lord. And it wasn't just short. Remember, Peter was arrested at the beginning of the feast. And now it was the last day. And this time they had been praying fervently for Peter. And prayer was offered, fervent prayer was made by the assembly on behalf of Peter. And Peter was delivered, even although there was no human way 
possible. I want to just make a note that today we don't have this kind of persecution. We don't face this persecution, but we mustn't fall into the trap of thinking that we have no violent persecution, that we have no opposition. Herod is a picture of Satan, that old serpent. And Satan is still attacking the church today. He is the one that roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I was thinking about this, and perhaps our main persecution and opposition this day is the preaching of another gospel. The preaching of a gospel that only focuses on the, the temporal, the here and now, what you can have, what you can be blessed with. A gospel that is centered around possessions, a gospel that is centered around wealth and comfort, a gospel where no repentance is necessary, a gospel where sin will not be judged, where God just loves and forgives everything, where the church embraces worldly ways, worldly methods, and teaches worldly principles, a gospel where pleasing man is more important than pleasing God. These are our main persecutions. This is our main problem in this day and age, another gospel that is no gospel at all. But you and I, we stand for truth, and we refuse to see the truth diluted, and we refuse to depart. Our key weapon in this battle is prayer. Prayer will conquer. It seems that it's impossible for things to change. It seems that it's too far gone. But God, who answered prayer in the book of Acts, when the church prayed, is a God who answers prayer even today. Now let me tell you what happened. In Acts chapter 12 and verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by, and a light shone in the building, and striking Peter's side, he raised him up, saying, Rise up in haste, and the chains fell off his hands. A light shone in the prison. This is an amazing thought, really. It's pitch black in the prison. Peter's asleep. The light is so bright in the prison, Peter wakes up and sees it. But the soldiers didn't get awakened by the light. The soldiers still slept, or, didn't, or, or, or they didn't see the light. Only Peter saw the light. I'm sure the soldiers were not sleeping. They were watching Peter. So either that was a light, like the pillar of fire, that led the whole nation of Israel, that only the Israelites saw, but the enemy couldn't see, or God supernaturally blocked it. But the fact is that this light came for Peter and that the soldiers that he was chained to were not aware of that light. Immediately, Peter bound by chains, the chains fell off him. What a wonderful miracle. 
Imagine Peter. And now the angel strikes him on the side and says, Make haste, gird yourself, get dressed, follow me. And the angel led him safely out of danger. It was impossible for man to do that. It took divine intervention. And divine intervention came because the church prayed. This is also a picture of the elements of salvation. When we pray for the most impossible cases, light comes. Not everyone sees the light, but how blessed are those that do see the light. Oh, and the chains will fall off them, and they will come out of the prison of sin, and they will be set free. Prayer, as I've mentioned, was the early church's first choice for the solution of the problem which they were facing. And when an individual has a problem, it is our first choice as well. And prayer causes Satan to tremble. Herod's army was, or that quintillion was so powerful, 16 men, they were keeping Peter there. But no matter how powerful Herod's army was, it could not close the door to heaven. They could go in prayer to the Father. And no matter what our situation is, no matter how difficult our situation is, there is nothing that can bar and close our access to the Father. We can, access has been freely granted. If only we could understand that. Private and personal prayer needs to be made day and night. And we know this. And yet we pray so little. Just this day, my own experience, I was downstairs in our house, I was beginning to pray, and I went to get some water. And I opened the tap, and there was no water. And immediately I thought to myself, I'm going to go and check the pipes. And then I said, no, I'm not going to let that situation pull me out of prayer. I will finish praying, and then I will, I will look briefly later. And it's very interesting that whenever we go to prayer, Satan brings something to mind that is so urgent and so important to do. And we need to realize his tactics. And we need to give ourselves to prayer. And we need to pray without ceasing. The scripture says that these good souls... These ones that prayed for Peter, they stretched themselves out in prayer. Like an athlete stretches out for the finishing line, runs with all his energy and strength. And when we pray fervently for a situation, we must stretch ourselves out. We must pray with all of our strength. Oh, that we would remember to pray for the lost like that. Listen, if the Apostle Paul needed prayer, how much more do you and I need prayer? We are just ordinary people. Oh, we are so dependent on the prayer of others, continuous, without ceasing. The <coughs> prayers of the congregation pushed back the plans of Herod. 
while they were knocking on the door of heaven. So here was the congregation fervently praying, knocking on the door of heaven. What happened? Peter came and knocked on their door. <coughs> Peter came and was set free. They prayed specifically for Peter. Our prayer must be specific. We must specifically pray. Um, I was on a Zoom call to some <coughs> pastors all over Africa and in England. And one pastor, he's just taken a big church in London. And he said at the weekly prayer meeting, he said the people prayed very generally. They just prayed general prayers. And he said, I had to pull them up and say, we need to pray specifically. We need to pray for the gospel preaching in our church. We need to pray for our community to come to Christ. We can't just pray general prayers for the whole wide world. And he said he had to pull them in and say specific prayer. They prayed specifically for Peter. And we need to pray specifically for our situation. Herod meant him harm, and Herod was going to kill Peter, as I've mentioned, but prayer changed everything. Prayer changed it. Peter was spared, and Herod died. So Herod thought he was going to win against God. Remember all the people shouting, saying, it is the voice of God and not the voice of a man. Oh, Herod liked this so much. He thrived on this. But we read this. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and he gave up the ghost. Herod thought he was so powerful. But God showed himself much, much more powerful doesn't matter what we are facing. We have a God who we come to in prayer, who is much more powerful than any situation. Prayer changed the situation. You see, in Acts 12, 24, the whole situation was changed. Herod was trying to stop it. But in Acts 12, 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied and the number of believers multiplied through the word which was sown, the seed which was scattered abroad. We read a very, very powerful scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11. You also helping together by prayer for us. I just read that first part. You helping together by prayer for us. It's true that each of us have different functions and roles in life. Some take care of the little children. Some take care of the Sunday school. Some witness to others. Some knock on doors. Some share Christ. But whatever your task may be, it is greatly assisted when prayer is offered for that task. It is greatly assisted. And how important prayer is. And how prayer causes fruitfulness. Prayer pushes back the plans of the evil one. 
I, I was thinking of Spurgeon. Spurgeon says this in one of his notes. We think of those who preach week after week, bringing God's word. Oh, how they need prayer. And then Spurgeon says, how I value every prayer for the preaching of the gospel. How it helps. I crave and I desire your prayers above all else. And then Spurgeon said, I will be meeting, I will be in the hall five minutes to six before the service. Those that desire to gather with me in a short time of prayer that I may sharpen my sword once more. Prayer is the greatest gift that the congregation can give to the pastor. And Spurgeon knew this and he asked for prayer. If Paul said, pray for us, should we not also say, pray for us? You often read some stories about men who were greatly used by the Lord. And it's very sad that that work stops and comes to an end because of those that were holding them up in prayer have gone. Prayer holds up the work. It's hard to fight like Joshua when there's no Moses on the hilltop. It's hard to fight like Joshua fought when there's no Aaron and her to hold up the hands of Moses. We need prayer. I appeal to all that you will never cease crying out to God at the throne of grace. Never neglect this holy privilege, this sacred duty. I implore you, I appeal that you forget not the task of asking for blessing upon others. Of asking for blessing upon others. Now, in closing, I want to ask a special favor of each of us, all that are present today. The favor is this, that sometime this week, each believer here would not only pray for a blessing on this service, blessing upon this work in this place, for blessing on the word that is preached, but that you would pray for somebody that does not know Christ. And then you would not only pray for them, but you would invite them and bring them to the gospel service. And I will announce when we are going to do the next gospel service, and then you will know I can bring somebody that I've been praying for, and they will hear the gospel. And what a joy it will be to you that your prayer is answered before your eyes when you see one come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a joy there will be in heaven when one lost one comes back to the Savior. Oh, begin to pray for their salvation. Pray that the Lord would draw them to salvation and then invite them to the gospel service. That is the favor that I ask of you. And pray for me. Pray that I may speak words that would encourage, words that would build up. Oh, together, this year, we want to see Nanuki shaken by the power 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see sinners come home to Jesus Christ. In closing, Spurgeon writes, he says, You cannot tell how much God's servants are helped by the prayers of his people. The strongest man in Israel will be helped by the weakest man in Zion. You don't need to be strong to pray. Therefore, day and night, be at the mercy seat in prayer on our behalf. Finally, brethren, I ask you, pray for us. Pray for our town. Pray for the lost ones. Amen.